a few weeks ago when we were discussing Christmas hymns and how we were going to do Advent, uh, Chris told me to my surprise about the song, Do You Hear What I Hear? I'd heard it before, but it sounded kind of like, I don't know, maybe it was written in the 16th century or so, way back. But he said, no, actually, it's written in the 60s. I was like, what? So I looked into it, and um, yeah, in October 1962, the song was written, and it was the height of the Cuban Missile Crisis. Did, does everyone know this, or what, did, am I the only one that just found out? Okay, cool, good. Um, okay, so it was the height of the Cuban Missile Crisis, and Americans everywhere obviously were bracing for nuclear war with the Soviet Union, and everyone was pretty on edge. Um, the song was written by Noel, and then I tried to look up how to say his last name, and I don't know. Um, I couldn't find it. All I could find were versions of the song. But I think it's Noel Regne, R-E-G-N-E-Y. He was French, so for whatever that's worth. Um, it was written by him and his wife, Gloria Shane, and they'd written a bunch of songs um, in the 50s. Uh, the only one I actually recognized was Rain, Rain, Go Away. <laughs> like, come again another day. <laughs> so, I guess that shows <laughs> my limited scope of knowledge. Um, but anyway, they'd written these songs, and so it was October 1962. Noel's walking around Manhattan, um, noticing, I guess, just the heaviness and joy joylessness that everyone wore on their faces. Though... I've been to Manhattan one time, and I think it would take someone who'd been in Manhattan a long time to tell like that from the normal. Normally, people are pretty <laughs> dour, focused. No, you know, no one's smiling. But apparently, Noel could pick up on this uh, this joylessness and probably a lot of anxiety and fear, um, even on people's faces, as yeah, as expressionless as they normally are. So no one's smiling except. He is walking around, along on the sidewalk in Manhattan, and he sees these two babies that are being pushed in strollers side by side. And I guess he happens to look over, and these babies look over at each other. The babies look at each other, and they start to smile. And Noel would say later, the little angels were looking at each other and smiling, and all of a sudden my mood was extraordinary. Those two babies reminded him of little lambs, and he immediately went home, and he wrote all the words down. He wrote it um, in one afternoon. He couldn't come up with the music. That's what his wife helped him with. Um, but I, I think it's funny that the star in the first verse, the star with a tail as big as a kite, is how that stands in such strange opposition, like the star that signifies God is with us, compared to visions of mushroom clouds and missiles streaking across the sky. that everyone's, Everyone undoubtedly is thinking about this. Um, and so the way those images bounce off each other is really strange. Um, so I heard a version of this story from Chris, and I read one on the uh, American Catholic online newsletter. But I also, <laughs> but I also noticed um, that The Atlantic ran a little, a little blurb about the story's background this week. Um, and it is a good story, but I think the reason they did it is because um, today is not so unlike 1962 in a lot of ways. Um, upheaval spilling out of Syria, riots in Baltimore, three-ring presidential primary circus. <laughs> 
uh, the most violent year in Durham's recent memory. There's a lot of things to give us pause, a lot of things to maybe be anxious about. Um, and I, so when I initially sat down to write the sermon, I thought, oh, I'll try to describe what it was like in Manhattan. It's like, okay, I can't, I obviously can't do that. Uh, I wasn't there, it was way long ago. Um, and, you know, why bother to do that when today is so similar? Um, I think part of the preacher's job is not only to tell the truth about God and God's word, but to try to tell the truth about today. Um, yeah, so I sat down and I, I tried to write something about what I see and hear uh, from my little apartment across the street. <laughs> Noise. It radiates from Tobacco Plus, the bus stop, and the five-stop sign free-for-all. Car doors slam, stereo kits rumble, brakes screech, hydraulics sigh, and strangers yell. The noise seeps in through windows, humming an anxious lullaby through the night. Do you hear what I hear? Radio gloom breaks briefly muted mornings. Minstrels, mistrials, missiles, refugee refusals, extremists, and executions. Pungent political personalities reeking to high heaven. Poisoning wells, wagering war and fear-mongering. All before I've had my morning coffee. <laughs> Do you hear what I hear? This, I mean, this daily chaotic din I've grown used to, as I suppose a lot of you have, hardly qualifies as a voice as big as the sea, but still anxiety is the loudest tone of many of my days. I didn't realize until two or three days ago, stupidly, that the title, Do You Hear What I Hear, is only one refrain of many in the song. It could have been, Do You See What I See? That's the first verse. Or, Do You Know What I Know? It would have been kind of weird if you used the last refrain, which is, listen to what I say. It's a little too forceful for a Christmas song, but they could have used it. Um, but Noel and Gloria chose hearing. Do you hear what I hear? See, it got me thinking. Hearing, for the unimpaired, is not a sensation that you can easily deprive. Imagine the most quiet place you've ever been. And in that memory, I bet there's still a sound somewhere, either of running water or maybe birds singing or the hum of a fluorescent light or the drone of a distant highway. There's, it's really hard to escape noise. Maybe if we were lost in space. I'm told it's quiet there. But even with noise-canceling headphones, you can't turn your ears off. My friend had a pair of uh, headphones the kind of headphones that normally you'd wear at a shooting range or when you're yeah, operating heavy machinery. Uh, but he wore them when he was studying, which made him, you know, he was a pretty eccentric guy, so he got a lot of weird looks in the JBU library. But when I would put those uh, headphones on, it does make the noises around you more distant and muted, but it, it magnifies all the voices, or all the, not voices, all the sounds inside you. Yeah, you can hear your swallows, your breathing is super loud. It's like the only thing that you can hear. And I thought it's funny that the song is, Do You Hear What I Hear? And hearing and sound is one of the things that is inescapable. And it's one of the things that I think causes me to link noise with anxiety. And I, I think that's what a lot of people would say. 
Noise is incessant, it's inescapable, and, and I mean, think about your own interior monologue. I've got a conversation going in my head all day long, right? You can't get away from it. And maybe that's what makes relative silence sometimes really unnerving. Like I know as soon as I wake up, I turn on the radio, or when we jump in the car, we turn on the radio, or even when I'm riding my bike, I put earphones in. I can't even, I can't even study or write papers in the quiet. It puts me on edge. So with that sad state of hearing in mind, I wanted us to look at uh, Psalm 29. Could we? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. It speaks, Psalm 29, the one that we read this morning, speaks of a voice that is truly as big as the sea. The voice of the Lord, we're told, echoes over the ocean. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. It makes the mountains jump. The voice of the Lord makes lightning flash and makes deserts shake, and it strips forests bare. The Lord gives strength to his people and blesses them with peace. That's good. Thanks, Justin. See, the power in the Lord's voice is not ultimately destructive, even though it makes mountains leap like calves and breaks cedars down. The end of the psalm says that the Lord gives strength to his people, and in the same breath, the voice of the Lord blesses God's people with peace. But did you notice what the psalm doesn't tell us? I didn't until like two days ago. The voice of the Lord is, yeah, it's powerful and it's huge and the glory of the Lord's voice is awesome, yet we have no idea what God's voice is saying in Psalm 29. It doesn't say what the voice of God is saying at all. Same with the song in, uh, that in the Do You Hear What I Hear, there's a song high above the trees with a voice as big as the sea, but we don't know what the song, what are the lyrics? Are there any, are there any words in that song at all? So it's hard for me sometimes to, I mean, it's hard to hear a voice when you don't know what that voice is saying. How do you pick that voice out of all the other voices that you hear, right? I mean, that's what it's like to, like, when you say that I'm waiting to hear God's voice or I'm praying for discernment. Isn't that what it feels like to be like, you know, I hear a lot of things. I wish I knew what the right thing was, you know? Feeling lost. But, yeah. <laughs> Out these open doors, families walk and whiz past, and we pray silently and aloud that our arms would be open like the doors, but open arms betray our hearts murmuring, muttering misgivings about glossy Sunday morning peace talks. I don't know peace. Peace is a vintage baby boomer, baby boomer delusion and a trite farewell. Peace is a tie-dye tree frog in a dollar store coloring book. Pray for peace, people everywhere? Please. Passive aspirations pausing by the pulpit before expiring with the holiday playlists and pleasant face postcards. It's hard to know peace. But isn't that why we pray for peace? We pray for peace because we don't have it? We ask because we do not have. I'm like, that has to be written in the Bible somewhere. I'm pretty sure it is. So I looked it up because I wanted to have the scripture reference in. But... When I looked it up, I had the, I had the words messed up. The, the verse in James 4 says, You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. 
Joey asks for peace and does not receive it because he asks amiss, that I may spend peace on my own pleasures. I mean, at least God can't say that I don't ask for peace. I mean, the last two weeks of the semester, the Christmas pageant, you know I was praying for peace. (laughs) As we all were that morning. Um, But but maybe my prayers for peace that are more like half thoughts before I fall asleep or before I rush out the door in the morning, maybe they're not actually prayers for peace. Maybe they're Maybe they're expressions of my desire for control. I don't want peace. I want management. I want to be on top of things. I want to be respected. I want to be independent, and a little peace and organization in my life would really help me get there. <laughs> but you know, one of, those, one of the most amazing things about Christmas is that the answer to our prayers never changes Even though your prayer and mine might be worlds apart, the answer to both of those prayers somehow is always a child, year after year. Not any child, but the child, sleeping in the night. That's what the song, High Above the Trees, is about. It's not what the voice of God is announcing. Or it is what the voice of God in Psalm 29 is announcing. A child shivering in the cold. That powerful, glorious voice that causes mountains to skip is bottled up in the cooing and whimpering of a newborn, the newborn. It's news heralded by heavenly host, yes. But who's it proclaimed to? Despite Jackson's very worthy performance in the Christmas pageant, shepherds were not the most worthy audience. (laughs) And neither are we. I mean, I've already confessed, my prayers for peace are a charade. What I really want is control, success, power, and respect and comfort. But guess what? Even your sincere prayers and my hollow ones, they, they all get the same answer. The child wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. The king at the end of, end of the song, the one who says, listen people everywhere, this child will bring us goodness and light. The king's right. At Christmas time, we often look ahead to Easter and we know that Jesus has won the victory. This child will, you know, will realign heaven and earth in right relationship. Like, the child is victorious, even in perceived powerlessness. It's the miracle. But, but you know, when we walk out those doors... I still feel that cold, that cold doubt, you know? Like, where's the goodness and light in 37 homicides this year? What about unaffordable housing and underserved schools down the street and untreated, untreated mental illness in our families? What about that? I hope you're not looking at me for answers. But you know, but I think, I, think, I think the shepherds actually do have it right. In the song, it's the shepherd boy who goes to the king, right to the center of power, and he asks a really simple question. He asks, do you know what I know? So maybe, maybe what we need to do is go to the school superintendent or the dean of the selection committee or the city council and try to open eyes to 
the forgotten corner, the abandoned stable where Jesus so often is waiting. Maybe that's what, maybe that's what we're supposed to do. Or maybe the king that the shepherd boy talks to, maybe that king is God. In which case the question, do you know what I know, is rhetorical. Of course you know what I know, God, but my friend hasn't heard you in a long time, so could you please speak to her in words she'll understand? My neighbor doesn't have a job, God. I know you know that, but what are you, what are you and I going to do about it? What's our next move? One final thought. I think that the shepherds in Luke 2 really do get it right. I think, <laughs> yeah, as Jackson's dancing suggested... I think this song is a lot about the shepherds. I think we should be looking at the shepherds. They heard the voice of heaven shining in the middle of the night. They heard the angel choirs singing, Glory to God in the highest, on earth peace, on, peace to those on whom his favor rests. And then, silence, darkness. Like the sheep didn't even wake up, they're still asleep. And instead of attributing like that crazy vision in the night sky to like some, something undigested from their nightly stew or, I don't know, sleep deprivation. They listen to it. They listen to that voice that they heard. They talk about it with each other. And then the, Luke 2 says they hurried off to Bethlehem to see what's up. Like, that's what we're supposed to do. I don't... So, here's the tough part. The tough thing is, we're supposed to listen together, but sometimes the things that we hear are different. Okay, well, there are some things we do know. We do know that the answer somehow is always that child in a manger. Okay? That's where we start. And I think that's a good place for us to go um, as we're just on the edge of Christmas right before either a Christmas full of family with a lot of people and lots of gifts or a Christmas, you know, pretty much alone, not a lot of gifts at all. I mean, we're gathered here together today, right? So I think, I don't know, I, I have a hard time usually ending sermons. That was my critique from preaching class. <laughs> it's like, really good, but we don't know what to do. Well, I don't know either. That's the problem. <laughs> But I was thinking about it this morning, and that's not entirely true. I think, <laughs> I think I do know what we need to do, and it's listen. We need to listen together. That's why I'm so glad that we do prayer at the end of the sermon, at the end of our services together. We listen, even if we don't have a prayer on our lips. Sometimes that's like exactly where you need to be, a lot of times. And that's why I'm glad that we have those awkward silences that make some people squirm. Um, it's good. It's okay, because that's what it actually is like to wait. So, um, yeah. Let's pray together. God, your voice, you've said shines like a light in our darkness. God, help us to encourage each other to listen to that voice. May the silence in between your words 
not be a barrier to us, God, but a cause for us to lean in closer to you. Help us to do that. I mean, the song is, do you hear what I hear? Are we asking that to each other? Help us to do that more faithfully. And help us to hear. Help us to hear and to listen and wait. God, please bring us Bring us to that manger this Christmas. I don't know what that looks like, really. Even for me, much less my brothers and sisters here. But bring us to that manger that we would see you clearly, like the shepherds did. That we would see and that we would marvel. And it says they went and they told everyone about it. They were amazed and they couldn't contain it. God, we want that. We want a piece of that. And I think you've given it to... You've given that to us before. You've given us that wonder before. And for some of us, it feels really real right now. And for some of us, it feels so far away. It feels 2,000 years old and <laughs> thousands of miles across the ocean. But God, Christmas is about God with us, you coming to us in the midst of the cold and the darkness. Thank you for always coming close. Amen.